Welcome to League One Fun from the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Goal Press. I'm Ira Jersey, one of your hosts. In this episode, I'll be talking to the head coach of the Richmond Kickers, David Bulo, as well as two of their players. I think you'll find the interviews interesting from both a personal and soccer perspective, uh, particularly my talk with Alex Ainskoff, who played in the fourth tier of German football and now plays in USL League One. He explains some of the differences in the American versus German style. Remember to look out for team-specific podcasts at the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm and written work at uslnews.com. So let's go to the interviews. Coach Bulo, thanks very much for coming, head coach of the Richmond Kickers. Uh, thanks for coming on League One Fun. So talk to me about when you were first approached to, to be the coach of the kickers, you know, one of the first things maybe you had to think about was what style of play and uh, and the system of play that you wanted to uh, you wanted to run. So so talk to me about how you came up with that decision. Uh, so actually, uh, just before I was offered the job, um, I was coming back from two academy uh, MLS academy job uh, interviews, uh, one with Atlanta United and one with Columbus, Columbus Crew. Yep. Um, so kind of the impression that Greg Berhalter and Columbus made on me with the clarity of their game model and the clarity of the game model at Atlanta, kind of that deeper insight of how they want their teams to play had a big impact on me. So I think it was a little bit of a combination of learning from those experiences in my, uh, in my interviews, uh, my in-person interviews there. Uh, I think some of it had to do with my past experience, but I think there was just a little bit more clarity uh, after going through those two uh, interview processes. Once you decided on that, then you had to start thinking about building a team. And obviously, you know, the, the, the way that USL tends to work is, you know, contracts are very short. So you mm-hmm. had you know, literally a blank page, right? Mm-hmm. And what traits or characteristics did you have for those players based on, you know, the system that you want to play? Well, I think last year with the kickers, I think it was I think that was the big key to it is the team that I had wasn't really built for the way that I wanted to play. So, um, yeah, it was just a matter of finding guys that, that wanted to, to play, you know, we're, we're keen on possession and, um, we're excited about, you know, starting something new, uh, and they weren't too bothered about league one versus the championship and, um, just kind of bought into my personality, bought into the history of the club and, um, yeah, it was it was a stressful process going through it the first time, but it, it was fun. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the players that um, that you signed from the open tryouts. You know, like you know that that's one thing that's you know a lot of teams have some kind of open tryout system, but it tends to be multi layered and mm-hmm. um, particularly at the, at the, the the larger clubs in, in Major League Soccer. So t- so talk to me about about them. Like how did you you know kind of weed through people and and obviously there were there were presumably many people at some of those tryouts. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. I think the first thing you have to understand is you're really not going to get a ton of players from that environment. Just uh, even even building a team from scratch. I mean, if you if you find you know three to five from that, that would be a lot, uh, you know, to get from that tryout. So if you go in in the mindset of I've got to find one or two players that really fit with what I'm looking for within the structure of the squad, then it's going to be a bonus. And uh, you know, Yannick Eckenrode stood out. Um, he, he just looked like a pro compared to some other guys. Um, raw and, you know, kind of didn't quite 
fit with the other players, and there's definitely some miscommunications. Uh, but you could see there was something about him uh, in that environment. Uh, Josh Hughes came to one of our first houses. He was technically signed from that trial as well. I knew him from, from Nashville. He and I had a relationship, so I was likely to sign him anyway. But you could see in that environment that there's a big distinction between that kind of top four, five, six guys and the rest of the rest of the trial so sure so how do you uh, just uh, out of curiosity just weeding through that because you do have a big disparity in um in talent levels presumably at that and and while some people come to the top um you, you know you want to make sure that they fit with the squad and that they have the uh, abilities that at whatever position you're thinking about them for yeah it's difficult um, it's yeah. difficult i mean it's i don't think there's a single answer for it i mean right. uh one coach may have a different method than mine uh it being the first time I've ever done it, uh, I don't really know if I had a clear plan to get that done. But uh, I think when you've been around the game for for a number of years, you you can try to pick out you know certain characteristics of of uh, of players, and you know if you have a clear idea of what your game model is and what you need, then then maybe it gets a little bit easier. But it's hard to say, you know, who, who's to say that next year I don't come, I, I come with a completely different tactic. So, so one of the things that, that I like to do with, um, uh, with, with the beautiful game network, which is where our podcast mm-hmm. on is, is, uh, do some deep dive tactics. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a, a little bit, uh, more about, um, each team's tactics. So you saw, you saw Lansing ignite, um, week one and week three. Mm-hmm. So you, you were familiar with them. Not a great start in uh, in the week week one match, right? They uh, they, they pressed you guys and mm-hmm. and um, you know made life dif- difficult for your possession. Um, but the first thirty five minutes of of the match before the uh, before the sending off last match, you guys, uh, at least in my opinion, had the better of it. And mm-hmm. and so, what did you figure out specifically about how you could adjust the way that you played from you know the first game to the second game? What what types of things did you look at? I think that? the biggest problem I had with the first game was they didn't buy into what we what we'd done for eight weeks of a preseason. So that was the biggest disappointment that. They went away too quickly from everything that we've worked on. Um, we had some really helpful video to say, hey, look, you're, you're abandoning our principles. We're, we're big on principles within our game model. And uh, we believe that if we stick to those principles and our team level communication is on the same page, then we should have a pretty good chance as long as we match the work rate of, of this league. I think one of the biggest challenges, nobody, we, we, every coach has said it, nobody knows what the league is yet. Is it going to be closer to the championship or MLS or is it league two and, and below? It's probably appropriately right in between that, but it is a very aggressive, energetic, high intensity league. Um, you know, Adrian Klula, our assistant is from England and he and I were kind of chuckling about it. It really is League One. I mean, if you're going to compare it to England, you know, the MLS is the Premier League and Championship is the – I mean, this is League One. It's it's a bit direct. Uh, it's physical. Uh, there's a lot of intensity. Um, so a challenge that we have is, as a team that wants to control things, um, we're, we're a bit of an outlier in this league. Um, and, and part of – our growing pains is we not only have to coach intensity and work rate, but we're also coaching thinking on a, on a pretty high level that just takes time. Uh, I don't think the guys completely trusted that system in the first game, um, but the two performances after that, I thought were, were decent. Um, you know, we've got some injury issues, which is not an excuse, you know, but 
it is what it is and, and we're growing and getting guys back now and um you know the, the motto in our locker room the coaches locker room is you know be one percent less worse than yesterday and i think we're doing that you know every day it's getting better so that's great so talk to me about match preparation so you, you know you, you have a match on saturday maybe you give the guys off sunday and or it's a travel day and then you come in monday what's the what's kind of the first thing that you want the players to know because presumably you've been thinking about it that, that match <laughs> the whole time yeah. From, <laughs> yeah exactly uh we actually we train on sunday so after a game yeah. we we train home or away so we flew in from Lansing on Sunday we got in at noon we were on the field at one um, to do a recovery session we have overload sessions for the guys that didn't play or didn't travel because we want to make sure we're maintaining fitness and we give Monday off um, we try to get those sessions early in the day so they have time to relax and and enjoy the time with their family and get their minds away from things a bit um, and Monday is a big preparation for for Mika and Chloe and myself of getting ready for the next week. We do a lot of reflection on Tuesday, kind of what went wrong, what could we improve, how do we highlight our principles. We focus on us a lot on Tuesday, a lot of more technical execution, higher reps. Uh, Wednesdays are overloads where we're trying to get our fitness done. Uh, and then Thursday and Friday, we're preparing for the next week. And so it's a little bit of a, a mix between ourselves and and the future. Uh, my hope is as we get more familiar with our game model that, that we'll, we'll reflect less on ourselves and more prepare for the opponent as we go. But, um, you know, and then you throw in the Open Cup, it starts to get a bit chaotic here. And in, in May, it's going to get hectic. But that's the way it is. And the way we've periodized our, our, our calendar right now, it, that shouldn't change much. Um, Essentially, for the last eight weeks, we've been playing a match every Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, uh, based on the loads that we have in training. So we're ready for that that overload in the schedule. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the breakdown of our week of how we prep for. So, so if you uh, if you get past the first round of the U.S. Open Cup, you'll be headed to North Carolina, a uh, a, a recent rival of the kickers. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, I actually it, hadn't know. seen the draw yet. So. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so, yeah. so at NCFC, which yeah, is, that's is great. Who you'll wind up. Uh, um, who you wind up against, if uh, assuming you make it past the first round, um, when when thinking about that, you know Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, or you know some two, three ga- basically three games yep. in eight days, more mm-hmm. more more than likely. Um, how much rotation do you expect, and and you know are you are you pleased with the way that the roster is built at this point for, um, you know for that kind of schedule? Yeah, I mean the the challenge for us has been just the injuries that we had leading up into the first week, so that hasn't been ideal in any way. But the good news is we're getting guys back, and um, so that that'll help with a little bit of the rotation. But it's hard to say as well because you know our ambition is to to finish in the playoff and and challenge for the league and. Uh, we don't want to detach ourselves too much from from everybody else. Um, you know, obviously one point from three games isn't ideal. It's been a tough start, uh, you know, based on external factors that we can't control. But, um, you know, we, we've said to the guys as well, there's 75 points left to play for. So um, we're going to try to, on two fronts, kind of push, push to do both. I mean, the cup has meant a lot to me personally, you know, being the Open Cup goal leader for, for only a couple of years. But, I mean, that was a thrill yeah, in sure. my career. And, and you know, going to the semifinal in 2011 is, you know, knocking off two MLS clubs, it's it's – it's a 
part of this competition that's fun for the for the smaller clubs, and that's true in the FA Cup yeah. or any any cup there is. The, the minnows taking out the sharks Absolutely. is always it's, something that's it's fun, fun, right? You know, so, and so you know, talk to me about that experience. So when you you know when when you went and won in the fourth round of uh, and to, to get yourselves into the semifinals, mm-hmm. what was that experience like? You know, go after you know firstly going into that match because you were not the favorites, mm-hmm. by of, course. The of course, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about um, about you know your your own mental preparation for that and maybe how you can pass that along to the um, the, the guys here in the locker room. Yeah, I think at that point we'd beaten Columbus away um, and we weren't expected to win that game either. Um, so I think you're playing with house money when you're going to the Sporting Kansas City and um, you know we, we love to brag that we were the first team ever to win in that stadium and um, we were helped out by like an hour and a half lightning delay. Um, but you know, I was just excited to get on the field and, and, and help the team the best way I could. Um, actually it's the biggest regret of my career is, uh, the penalty I scored to set the record there. I forgot to ask for the match ball. Oh no. Um, so I was just excited that we won. <laughs> of um, course. um, and another memory from that is, uh, I got my pinky finger got caught on a, a, a short string. Oh. I was trying to shield the ball and the ref thought I grabbed his shorts and gave me a yellow. So I was actually suspended for the. Oh, for the last uh, for game, the right. quarter uh, for the semifinal of Chicago. All my family's from Chicago, so I was gutted that I couldn't go. I didn't realize that until about four days later, too. So, but I mean, it, I mean, those are things. I mean, obviously they've stuck with me. I mean, those are memories that you create in that competition that that you can't trade for anything. So, I'm excited. Hopefully, we can draw on those memories and and uh, make a run in the cup as well. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Coach. My and pleasure. good luck uh, against Greenville this weekend. Big fan of League One Fun, major dog walking podcast for me. So <laughs> enjoy it. Well, I, I appreciate everything you guys do. We, we really are excited that you guys are, bring so much passion thank, to us. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, uh, and we appreciate uh, you guys on the pitch. So awesome. hopefully uh, you'll have a great rest of the season. Cool. Sounds good. My name is Alex Anskoff. I grew up in uh, Canton, Massachusetts, which is a small suburb outside of Boston. And so you played your youth ball with uh, FC Boston. Correct. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, t- talk to me about, you know, growing up and, you know, when you thought that maybe you'd try your hand at, at being a professional footballer. I mean, as soon as I can, as long as I can remember, like five years old is literally my entire life. This is all I've ever wanted to do. My, um, my dad... Um, he actually runs FC Boston. He's the director of coaching. And he um, played professional soccer both in America and Ireland, where he's from. So I was, you know, had the ball at my feet early age. And uh, and yeah, I mean, as lo- honestly, when I tell you, as long as I can remember, I can't remember a time when this all this isn't what I wanted to do with my entire life. It's just play. So yeah, that, that's amazing. And um, so so obviously you had the drive and the passion, mm-hmm. and so so I'm sure you had a, the ball at your feet, and you broke your fair number of windows and yeah, tables. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> my up. garage window in my backyard, <laughs> smashing half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, you know that, that's always one of the uh, one of the tales I think that every professional footballer has at at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the parents either scream at them or or uh, encourage it. Or encourage it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say they were somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So talk to me about the transition to the professional football ga- game in Europe. Mm-hmm. So you, you've had a couple of stints, um, and you had a stint in Iceland and Germany. Yep. You know, talk talk to me about the differences that you see between, um, you know, coming to the Kickers now, be- having been here a couple of months, mm-hmm. and um, and and those those clubs in in Europe. Well, it's interesting. I think the the level of football. Um, especially in Germany, I was in Regionalliga, which I mean, there's some great teams. There are some great teams in my league, like um, 1860 Munich, uh, Bayern Munich reserves. Like these are the type of teams we were going against. So, in terms of the level of football, it was quite high. 
but particularly at my club, um, which was sort of a middle-tier regular league team, um, sort of the infrastructure and the money in it wasn't great. So it's not like here you come out to the kickers and we have this beautiful stadium, we have great locker rooms, great facilities, everything you could ask for, and it feels like a pro environment. And over there it's like the level of football is professional, but some of the other stuff isn't. Like we're training on, you know, bad pitches, um, guys – uh, have other jobs during the day or they go to school and we train at night instead of training in the day like we do here um, so those are some of the main differences and then um, also of course the style of football is very different um, in, in, in what way is the style different over there they think <laughs> it's only, I don't want to say they discourage running but they discourage stupid running or running <laughs> around with your head cut off um, which is sort of the idea they have of Americans when they come over is um uh, they think we're all, you know, hard workers with no football brains. And compared to them, in some cases, that's true. Um, you know, I played with some guys over there that they're not the most athletic guy, you know, physical specimens. Like, if you saw them in the locker room with their shirts off, you'd be like, you couldn't believe this guy's a pro footballer. But then you see him on the field and his feet are amazing and the way he sees the game is amazing. Um, so that's what I think some of the differences are. It's just not even in the style, but what they emphasize over there as important to be able to play is uh, is different than here. So meaning meaning the, the passing and moving or just like the passing you know, not, not necessarily the, the pressing? Yeah, or, or like I think in America, they if you had two players and one, you know, was slower, couldn't get around the pitch as well, and but saw the game great, and, you know, another one that was super mobile but maybe lacked a little technically, I think in America – they tend to feel like the safer choice is, you know, the more athletic guy, um, whereas over there they would tend to lean towards the guy with more football. And, and then and then you get RB Leipzig pressing them all over yep, the pitch. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, <laughs> that's and, a big benefit. And that's, that's the thing is at those higher levels, they have both. Right. And at the lower levels, you know, maybe guys are lacking one thing or the other, but at the higher levels, not only are they, you know, unbelievable athletes but they um you know they can play the game super well so what's the one thing that you think you learned playing in europe um may, maybe a two-part question one mm -hmm. what did you learn about yourself playing in europe and then and then secondly you know is there any lessons that you've brought back from europe that you've been sharing with your teammates wow um i know that's definitely no deep deep no, to unpack there. no but for sure <laughs> um i mean in terms of myself um you know, I had to learn how to start taking care of myself earlier than I would have otherwise. Like, I left school um, when I was 20 um, after my sophomore season. So instead of doing all the four years, I, th I thought, you know, for me, college soccer was sort of a waste of time in terms of the whole infrastructure. So I wanted to try my hand over there. And, you know, I learned how to take care of myself, how to prepare every day for training and try to be the best that I could. Um, I also learned, like I said, how to um, sort of adjust my expectations as to what professional football can look like in other places. So it's like I said, sometimes even though you go out to the training field and there are these amazing players that you're playing with and you're playing against great teams, um, it doesn't always feel like a pro environment when you're getting home from training at 10 o'clock at night right? Um, and you're carpooling to these ridiculous fields in the middle of nowhere. Um, but at the same time, it makes you realize, you know, how far you'll go to play this game. And then when you come back to America and all these USL teams have, you know, amazing facilities, all you could ever want, um, it makes you realize 
it, it makes you that much more grateful for having all that stuff when you come back and you have it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so great. that's why I feel really like grateful to be in a place like this now. So your personal goal for this season. So obviously inaugural season mm-hmm. of League One. You know your your first year with the Kickers. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen the field a few times, which is uh, you know probably very uh, encouraging mm-hmm. si- sign for your your career arc and progression. You know what what what's your personal goal for um, for for your time with the Kickers? This yeah, season? I mean I know this is probably going to sound like the most cliche thing in the world, but I, in some ways, in some ways not, but I never make goals beyond like a few days at a time. I can't put my mind beyond that. All I think about every single day is just being the absolute best version of myself I can be. And in terms of the team, I just want to win every single game in training and every single game that we play on the weekend. And if you take care of those two things, then all the other stuff falls into place. So for me, I don't like, I would rather do that than make these sort of lofty long-term goals like I want to score X amount of goals or I want to make this many starts because then if I don't do that then it might I might be disappointed with myself at the end of the season when there's no reason to be if I just show up with the best attitude that I can and work as hard as I can every yeah, day. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Um Scott Thompson play left back and I went to the University of Virginia. Everyone calls you Scotty, though. Yeah. So where did that come from? Um, that had to be a kid thing, right? Yeah, it must have been a kid thing. <laughs> um, probably growing up playing with my brother's team, um, all the older guys would always just say Scotty. Um, so it's kind of just stuck. So did you always uh, play up when you were um, when you were little? I would always try to train with my brother's team as much as possible. He's about three or four years older. Um, and then probably U14, I was playing up, a, up an age group. Um, and then... From there, kind of just fell into my own age group. But right. I was I've, December 31st, so I've always been the last day of the year. So <laughs> I always feel like I'm playing out, <laughs> growing up. Fair, fair enough. So, so you, uh, I didn't know that, but you share something in common. Um, my wife's birthday oh, happens really? to be yeah. December 31st as well. So it's a blessing um, and a curse. Some people are always like, oh, what would have happened if you were 94? I'm like, I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, so you were born the year that I graduated from college. Um, so just, just to, to, to show the generation gap here. Uh, so you were, you know, really um, a, a really star athlete in, in high school, um, and you played for uh, the Red Bulls Academy. Um, then you went to UVA, and at UVA you lifted a trophy. So t- talk a little bit about, you know, that experience going from, you know, a, a high school to then, then like a collegiate environment where, you know, things obviously got a little bit more serious maybe, but, um, you know, and, and did the academy uh, – potentially help you uh, prepare for uh, the rigors of the collegiate game? Yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky and blessed to play with a lot of good players on a a lot of good teams growing up. Um, So I kind of started right when the DA started up. Um, So I was kind of right in the beginning there. Um, So I was playing with PDA and then moved to Red Bull um, through high school. And I mean, if you look at my old Red Bull teams, there's eight or nine pros that are still playing today. So um, it just shows the level there that you learned early that you had to be competitive if you wanted to play. Um, went to Christian Brothers Academy, had 61 players on my team, which in high school uh, you, you never really get, especially this day and age. So um, really, really always in a good environment. Um, and then hopping into college, um, I was really lucky that they were looking for a left back right away and played my whole freshman year. Um, so you just kind of jump in and, and – you learn by playing. Um, had a lot of good older guys to learn from. Will Bates, especially my freshman year um, when he was a senior. 
um, was just a guy that did things right. Um, and from there, uh, we were able to kind of have a good nucleus that played a lot. And then we won, so it was good. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, it's hard to probably for you to describe exactly the elation of, of you know, winning the trophy. <laughs> but, but you know, the rigors of the college game are interesting because you end up playing games every two or three days, right? Yeah. Um, and um, so how did that fit on your, your body? I mean, granted, you were, you know, still young, right? But mm-hmm. um, but there, there must have been something that you learned from that experience, you know, having to, to play at that high level and that intensity for, you know, every three days for a couple of weeks during the tournament. Yeah, you learn how, how important recovery is in college very quickly. Um, in preseason, there's the first time I was doing two-a-days. Um, had them for a couple of weeks. So you learn the ice baths are your friend. You learn Norma Tech boots are your friend, um, stretching. Um, eating right, sleeping, those are all things you really get thrown into right away your first freshman year of college. Um, so those are things that in a three-month season play even more role. And then as I've gotten older, I've realized no matter how long the season is, it's still pretty important um, if you want your body to survive a whole season. So learning that really early has helped me kind of stay in the game and hopefully this year stay quite healthy. We'll see. That, that's great, um, and congratulations to uh, to UVA for winning the, uh, the the basketball championship Thank a couple you. of weeks ago. I know you were rather excited <laughs> about that. I was very excited. Like me and my girlfriend uh, met at UVA, um, and so we were watching it here. She lives in Richmond as well, um, and the whole time, every game was close, and we were sweating the whole time. But it was so <laughs> awesome to see them, especially after what happened last year, and them getting so much slack for it um, to come back and win was was really something cool to see for those guys. That, that's great. So I, I'm going to skip the, the middle bit of your career um, so far. But but this year, as you've gotten a new ownership group, um, you know, Coach Bulo's been here um, uh, just, you know, going on six, seven months now, um, at, at least in, in a training capacity. And, and you're one of the more experienced players. So five players have come back mm-hmm. to, to the kickers uh, from last season. What's the you know, what is you as one of the more experienced players? What advice do you give and how do you help mold some of the younger players, you know, some of the walk-ons or guys that just got out of college and, um, you know, acclimate to, um, you know, I guess the professional game in general, but more specifically the kickers? Um, first and foremost, it's a long season. Um, so we talked about the college game, especially it's a three-month season. Um, and then after that, you're kind of done. Um, so to really pick up habits of doing your prehab, doing your regen afterwards it helps a long way um helping your body first and foremost um and then just in training a lot of these guys are probably stars of their college teams or whatnot so when you come in here um you're not guaranteed a position every weekend um and you really have to compete every single day on the field especially with Bilo. um he's got a really set style of play that he wants to play um so if you're not really buying into that or at least trying to get those ideas in your head then you might have a tough time um find the field so I just kind of let the guys know, try to, now that I understand Bulo's system pretty well, um, let them know what, what we should be looking for, because um, it's only going to help the team as we go forward. So. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the positioning. So uh, pr- presumably one of the things that often happens in, um, in youth sports is the better players in, in soccer tend to play in the midfield somewhere, you know, tend to be a, a pivot or, uh, you know, a number eight. Um, 
you know, when you got to college, they needed a left back. You know, talk to me about the transition and, and how you um, kind of learned the game uh, from a different perspective, literally, you know, sitting in, in a different position on the field than maybe you were used to playing when you were um, in, your, in your, you know, club and in high school. Yeah, so I was really lucky. I started learning a new position at around 13 years old um, because with ODP and the national team in U14 through U17, 18, being the last day of the year, I was always probably the smallest guy in the field for a long time. Um, so being, I started out playing central midfield for my club team for a long time. Um, but seeing ODP, there's not many lefties at that age really that are going out. Um, and then just kind of falling into a left back. And then from there, I've always been a good passer. Um, always had kind of had an instinct for the game of positioning, um, not always being the fastest guy on the field. So you really have to learn how to position your body in a lot of ways to beat them. Um, so from there, growing up in the ranks, when I would go to be lucky enough to get called in for national team camps or region teams or whatnot, um, I knew going in that I'd, I'd probably be playing left back. Um, so those were good experiences, learning a new position there, and then still having the attacking sense playing the 10 or an 8 um, for my club team all the way till U18. Um, and then I think that's where George and, and his staff saw me um, to recruit me was during a national team camp when I was playing left back. Um, and so right from there, they were looking for a left back to kind of hop in the, my freshman year. And since then, it's kind of been a position I've gotten comfortable with, um, have learned a lot about, because in the beginning, at the college level, if, if you're not playing, um, the right way you get exposed really quickly with some quick wingers and, and crafty wingers so um, you learn pretty quickly how to how to use your strength make sure you don't get caught up right so, so make sure you have those um, so just you know really quick last couple of questions so one is you know you've just in the last four or five years since you've been playing professional uh, ball the game's changed a lot in the United States, mm -hmm. right? So we have a new league now, right? You play in, in USL League One, the inaugural year this year. Um, but there's, uh, you know, uh, more than half a dozen new teams. Um, you know, there's some in, some in this league, and then there's obviously continued expansion into the championship and, and USL championship. You know, do you, th how do you think the game has changed because of the, um, the, because of this expansion? Is there anything that you've noticed from a player standpoint in, um, because of this expansion? Um, the expansion itself has really made clubs um, focus on becoming really professional, especially at the lower levels. Even in MLS, you see it. Um, a lot of clubs are now building their own facilities, uh, building soccer-specific stadiums. Um, and a lot of that comes because of the expansion, because these new teams that are coming in are setting a high bar on how the game should be uh, at a professional level. Um, so from MLS down, um, you see that the um, kind of standard that they're setting has become a lot higher off the field. And on the field, you see kind of it's changing a bit where MLS has maybe become more international. Um, so a lot more guys out of college are getting their first experience in the championship or League One now, um, which has kind of in a way raised the game because it's giving more people an opportunity to, to earn their stripes and hopefully move up. Um, so it's just become a lot more diverse, I think, in terms of a lot of international guys finding a place over here uh, with more teams popping up. Great. Well, thanks very much. That's uh, left back for the Richmond Kickers, Scotty Thompson. Scott, thanks, you, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Ira. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just yourself or your organization. 
Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf provider of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. I've done this myself and uh, for another non-soccer-related podcast, and you'll know who I am, you friends of DeSoto. Just go to Roughneck Scarves. They have great customer service, and the scarves are even better. Thanks for listening to League One Fun. We go live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, reviewing the news, the prior weekend's matches, and we sprinkle in some spicy takes as well. 